Good morning. If you're able, will you stand as we begin our worship this Sunday? Gathered in your name, calling out to you. The glory like a fire, awakening desire, we burn our hearts with truth. You're the reason we're here, you're the reason we're singing. Open up the heaven, we want to see it.
today is you and me. Whatever comes, I'll hold the place. For all my hope is in your name. And now your joy awaits my praise. I give thanks for all. gather today proclaiming that, that we are grateful and that your love is unfailing. That no matter what the chaos is happening out there, when we come in here, we can take a deep breath and know that your loving arms are around us. We thank you for that. Amen. Hey, everybody. Um, here we do something called the meet and greet. I won't make any jokes, I promise. You guys know too well. Why don't we turn, if there's somebody new, try to catch their name, welcome them here, and then you can have a seat.
Morning again, Hopevale. Are you amped up now? Are you ready to go? Bible camp is coming. Hey, uh, and this invitation is for anyone and everyone. You know, that is a, a really special week. Everybody got a card on their chair this morning just with some more details about that. would encourage you to go to our website, check it out. You can find the direct link at Bible Camp at Hopevale. And this is a huge event that happens right here on our Hopevale Saginaw campus. Um, June 25th through 28th, that's a Monday through Thursday. And in addition to about 500 kids that are a part of that event, it also takes an army of adults. And so we would invite you uh, not only to get campers uh, registered, but to consider volunteering for that event as well. It is really an incredible week to be a part of for all the reasons that was just mentioned in that video. And even personally, uh, my daughter is going into kindergarten this fall, and man, she is amped for this event. Uh, so just want to invite you to come and be a part of that as we, uh, as we just share with these kids about Jesus and how much he loves them. And I will tell you, uh, you know, my daughter, she's been around Bible camp but for the last couple years, but not really a part of it. And she already knows like how excited she should be getting uh, and how much she loves Jesus because of just the glimpse that she's got of that event. And so I would just encourage, encourage you to uh, consider being a part of that great week. Hey, uh, and if you are new with us here, maybe for the first time this morning, we just want to expand, extend a special welcome to you. And actually today we have an event called Get to Know Hopevale. And this is kind of a, a class with a free lunch involved where we just want to have the opportunity to get to know you a little bit, share a little bit about our church, who we are, what we believe, and how you can fit in here at Hopevale with the things that God is doing right here. Well, as the uh, ushers uh, prepare to come forward, we're going to take our offering this morning. And I also just want to give a special mention that uh, I don't think she's in this service, but we have one of our longtime outreach partners, Linda Dunn, in town with us this morning from Ghana, Africa. And Hopevale has supported her since 1974. She works with the Navigators Ministry and has been in Ghana uh, just spreading the love of Christ there in that community for, for years. So it's just a neat, uh, a special treat that we have uh, to have her here with us this morning. And in a lot of ways, that's just, just one of the many examples of how our giving here at Hopevale goes to share the good news of Christ, not only here in Saginaw through an event like Bible Camp and everything else that takes place, but the impact that we're privileged to have around the world as well through our outreach partners. Uh, so as we prepare to give, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you so much for this morning and the chance that we have to gather here together uh, as your church 
giving you the praise and the glory that you deserve. And God, and we're coming into this room from just all different experiences and challenges from the week. Uh, God, I'm sure frustrations and in areas of our lives where we're disappointed in ourselves, maybe others, maybe even you, Lord. But we just want to bring all of that here today to your feet. God, and we want to hear from you, from your word about what you have to say about who we are in light of the cross, in light of all that you have done for us, and in light of how much you love us. God, and it's a privilege that you have given us to, you've entrusted us with this message of what Jesus has done for everyone to share that news with the entire world. So God, we want to be faithful to that calling. And part of that is to to give of our time, our talents, our treasure. God, all of those things so that your name would be lifted up and glorified. So God, as we give of our finances this morning, we pray that you would just take that and use it and multiply it for your kingdom. May you be made famous here on your earth as you are in heaven. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You will stay true even when the last
Good morning. Good morning. Great day to be together. I'm Dan Davis, a senior pastor here at Holfeld Church. So glad that, you know, I get to share this day with you as we worship. Want to extend a special welcome to those of you worshiping with us in Bay City. Great to have you on board as well. And want to just give a shout out and a thanks for your flexibility. So, uh, you know, we have this Hopevale Bay City campus that meets uh, weekly at John Glenn High School, and there are a few Sundays a year where we're not able to use their auditorium. This is one of those Sundays, and so uh, our Bay City Church is meeting in Krista McAuliffe Middle School, which is right next door, so a little flexibility on their part. Hope things are going great, and just glad you guys are just committed to the mission, again, of inviting people to know and follow Jesus with us. Well, last week we began a new series, as you saw on the bumper, one that we're going to go through May and June called It Is Well. It Is Well, Finding Peace in an Anxious World. And to get things going last week, I talked a lot up front about the widespread prevalence of anxiety in our culture. And there's a lot of ways to measure it. Surveys, doctor visits, health insurance claims, prescriptions, the news, even current in this opioid crisis in our nation today. All of it points to worry and anxiety continuing to trend upward in our society. Like I shared with you last week, this recent headline from the Los Angeles Times, which says this, right? Let's face it, it's not just you, we're all living in the United States of anxiety, right? Anxiety disorders are now the most common diagnosed mental illness in the United States. It affects 40 million adults 
in our country. That's 18% of the population. Then even more staggering is the report from the National Institute of Health that nearly one-third of all adolescents will experience an anxiety order during, disorder during some point in their lifetime. That's what's going on around us, but it's also what's going on within us. Us, right here, together, in this room, that regardless of our age, regardless of our gender, we all wrestle with worry and anxiety. Now, yes, you know, if we did a survey here, it is going to vary in its intensity among us. For some of us, it's absolutely smothering. For others of us, it's far less debilitating. Same with frequency. For some of us, it's a constant condition. For others of us, it comes and goes. Yet even still, while our experience with worry and anxiety might uh, not be one size fits all, right? Regardless of who we are, as long as we live in this frightening, uncertain world of ours, where we just can't control everything, right? We just can't control everything. We're always gonna battle with anxious thoughts and fretful feelings. And so what better place to talk about this, right? And to talk with honesty and to talk with hope, what better place than right here in church together? And so that's the background for the series. And to kick things off, I laid a foundation of four principles, four truths that we need to understand if we're going to make progress in finding victory over our anxiety. So quickly to review, let's go through these. Uh, first, anxiety is a common experience, right? And the point I wanted to make is this, that if you struggle with worry and anxiety, you need to know you're not alone. You're not alone. You are not some freak of nature, right, who's surrounded by everyone else who's got their act together. No, this isn't a me problem. This is a we problem. Anxiety is a common experience. Second, anxious people aren't always faithless people. And I felt like this was important to bring up in church because we're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about God, right? We're not going to leave that out of the equation. To deny that is to deny who God has made you, you know, as a human being created in the image of God. Our faith, our trust in God, those things matter. But, like I said last week, while a lack of faith could be the cause of our anxiety, it doesn't automatically mean that a lack of faith must be the cause of our anxiety. And it's important to understand that, not just for ourselves, but for others, because unfortunately, as Christians, we're often quick to judge others, right, their anxiety about why they're going through what they're going through, and maybe shame them for a lack of faith, that we look at them and just say, you just need to trust God more, and they're going, I'm trying, I'm trying, right? No, we don't know all the answers. We don't know what's going on. And that's why we need to grasp that anxious people aren't always faithless people. And third, there are no magic fixes for anxiety. It's to understand who we are, who God's created us, that the physical, mental, emotional, social, spiritual sides of who we are are all woven together by our creator. One affects another. And so we need to reject this culture of ours that makes big promises and offers quick solutions for our anxiety when in reality the challenges are far more complicated. The truth is there is no one magic fix out there that's going to remove all our anxiety right away, right? No, no magic fixes. And then finally and most importantly, Jesus. Jesus, he offers genuine peace for our anxiety. That Jesus truly is the Prince of Peace, just as the Old Testament prophet Isaiah foretold. And that during his time on this earth, Jesus not only taught about peace, but he actually brought 
about peace, right? He didn't just teach about peace. He brought peace when he died on the cross in our place for our sins. And then when he rose again three days later from the dead so that we could personally experience the greatest peace possible, peace with our God that as the Apostle Paul tells of those who believe in Jesus. Romans chapter five, verse one, therefore since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why these words of Jesus, John 14, verse 27, ring so true. Peace I leave with you. My peace, Jesus says, I give you. I do not give it as the world gives. Love that contrast there. No, his peace is unique. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And so like I said last Sunday, while Jesus might not give us the magic we want, he gives us the peace we need. The genuine, real, enduring, prevailing peace of Jesus Christ because he wants to be for us the Prince of Peace. And those are our foundations for the series. And then from there last week, we, we looked at a story involving Jesus and his disciples from the Gospel of Mark chapter four, where Jesus controlled the forces of nature. He stilled a violent storm by rebuking the wind, by commanding the waves, and when he did, total chaos turned to complete calm, just like that. It's a powerful reminder that at the heart of peace, you'll find this powerful truth, that Jesus cares for you and he is in control. That Jesus cares for you and he is in control inside. So while our worry, our anxiety tries to tell us that it's out of control and we're in it alone, when we can look beyond our threats, whether they're real threats or perceived threats, and we can fix our eyes on a loving and powerful savior, we're gonna discover what it means to say, what it means to sing, what it means to believe, even in the midst of our storms, that it is well with our soul, that Jesus cares for you and he is in control. And so all that was how we started the series last week. But today, as we move on, I want to walk through some very incredible, profound, meaningful, significant teaching on worry and anxiety that Jesus gave to us during his time here on this earth 2,000 years ago. It's part of his most famous message ever, the Sermon on the Mount. And I believe that his timeless, timeless words that, that he shares with us, that those can be truly transformational if we take them to heart and begin to put them into practice. Now the message is, or passage is found in the Gospel of Matthew, okay? Chapter six, beginning in verse 25. And we're gonna go there in a minute, but I just wanna say this as an aside. You know, every week in the message, when I get to this time, you know, I'll say something like, turn with me in your Bible, or go on your smartphone to this certain passage. And I, I just wanna make a comment about that. Here at Hopevale, we believe, along with Christians throughout the centuries, that God, the one true God, has revealed himself to mankind through the living word, Jesus, and through the written word, the Bible. This is how we come to know more about the infinite, eternal, almighty God that we cannot see, right? It's why we make a big deal about Jesus around here. It's why we make a big deal about the Bible around here. Because we want everyone to have a personal, firsthand, life-changing encounter with the God who loves you more than you could ever imagine. So when I say turn with me to this certain passage, I want you to see in the Bible for yourself. 
And so at both campuses, we offer Bibles free if you don't have one of your own. Just go to our Welcome Center in the lobby, ask you know, for a Bible, and someone there can hook you up. It's also while well, we've gone digital, right, and, and, and make the Bible aware on a couple different apps that we use here at Hopevel. One is called the YouVersion Bible app. The other one is called the, the Hopevel app that we've designed for ourselves. And at both of those, you can access the Bible, but you can also access message notes that are relevant to today's message as well. It lines up with what I say in the message and what we put on the screens. And I would encourage you to do that if you're a smartphone user, to be able to access those. And many people in our congregation have found those. So if you've got an iPhone, if you've got an Android phone, you can go to the app stores appropriately and just type in version Bible app or type in um, you know, Hopel Church. And those will pull up. And when you get in those, you can dig deep and you'll find uh, the notes for the message. and Because I really believe, right, we just, we want you to have that personal encounter because we believe it's truly going to make a positive, genuine difference in your life. So having said all that, about our importance, believe in the Bible, let's go ahead and turn there. We're going to go Matthew chapter 6, that's in the New Testament, Bible's divided into Two Testaments, one recording life up to the time of Jesus, one recording the story of Jesus and thereafter, right? The New Testament, first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. And like I said before, the passage we're going to look at is from something called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's given that name because Jesus teaches from an elevated terrain. Now, when you hear mount, it's not mountains like the Rocky Mountains, but it's kind of on a sloped hillside that leads down to the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And it's significant to understand that because experts, archaeologists, have basically landed on where this must have took place. And they know that because of the acoustics. Because here's Jesus, he's teaching to hundreds, maybe even thousands of people outdoors, and he doesn't have the benefit of a mic like I do, right? They didn't project his message on side video screens like we do here. They didn't stream it to another location, right? And yet, somehow, here's Jesus teaching this message to hundreds, maybe even thousands, and see what he did have was a captive audience. He had a captive audience and he had a compelling message. The people were hungry to hear his words and what he had to say about life because what he said had power and meaning and hope. The same kind of things that we're searching for today. And most of the crowd back then, they were hand-to-mouth people, right? They lived hand-to-mouth, peasant farmers, struggling fishermen, simple craftsmen, marketplace traders. You know, there was no such thing as the middle class back in the first century. No, the, this group, the, the most of his audience, they would have been more like third world rural than first world suburban, right? As a matter of fact, in this message, when Jesus teaches them to pray, saying, give us this day our daily bread, they knew what it was to be dependent and anxious for their daily bread. They worried just like we do. Different ways, yes, about different things, no doubt. But even back then, anxiety was a common experience. And so here we are today, 2,000 years later, and we too are hungering for these words of life and power and meaning and hope. And so Jesus, in 2018, says to us, beginning in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life 
more than food and the body more than clothes. And I find Jesus' words here strangely comforting, right? Because in telling us not to worry, he's recognizing that worry is a big problem that we have, right? All of us, that he is speaking into those areas in our lives where we need the most help. In this case, it's worry. In this case, it's anxiety. We know we shouldn't do it, but we just feel like we can't help it. Now, remember back then, we're dealing with these, you know, hand-to-mouth, subsistence, daily bread kind of people. And so Jesus tells them, you know, don't worry about these things because your life is meant to be lived. Not to be frittered away with worry. Your life is about so much more than the things you're obsessing over. In their case, yeah, it was the basics, right? Food, drink, clothing. In our case, boy, our list is endless, right? Finding a job, paying the rent, saving enough for retirement, being in a fulfilling relationship or the safety, well-being of our children. All these needs we have over things we can't control. And so Jesus says, do not let your worries about these things take over your life. Why? Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour, to your life? Now remember, this is an open air service, right? They're outdoors, and so Jesus points to the sky. Take, for instance, right, he says, the birds of the air. Real-time object lesson. Bible scholars believe that Jesus was probably pointing to these birds that were common to that area, kind of crow or raven-type birds. In other words, you know, rather nondescript. If anything, they're kind of scavenger-type birds, right? I mean, nothing special about them at all. And yet even them, their Heavenly Father's taking care of them. So are you not much more valuable than they is one of those questions that Jesus asks that demands an obvious yes. Of course, you're much more valuable to God than they are. And if God is taking care of their needs, he's going to take care of your needs. And by the way, he goes on to say, hey, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? I love this because if the last question demanded an obvious yes, this one demands an obvious no. Worry's not going to get you anywhere. I was thinking about this week. There are some things you could do to try to add an hour to your life, right? Go work out. Go see a doctor. Put down the donut and drink a kale smoothie, right? I mean, maybe you might add an hour to your life, right? Go, go watch a stand-up comedian and, and laugh a little bit. Those things could possibly add to your life, but worrying, it's not going to add to your life. If anything, it might take something from it. I would venture to say, as a matter of fact, that being anxious about something is the most consuming and the least productive thing we could possibly do. The most consuming and least pr productive thing we can possibly do. Jesus says it's not going to add an hour to your life, right? He goes on. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labor or spin, and yet I tell you, not even Solomon, the great, wealthy, wise King Solomon of the Old Testament, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. Again, outdoor preaching, real-time object lessons. You can picture Jesus speaking to this crowd, and over the side, he looks at some wildflowers, right? Think of when we lived in Texas and all the fields of blue bonnets or 
If you drive through Kansas and all the sunflowers are right here in Michigan, fields of daisies, right? Beautiful revelation of, of God in creation, right? Nobody's tending them. Nobody planted them, but absolutely stunning. You know, remember earlier when I said that God reveals himself through the living word Jesus and the written word the Bible? Well, God also reveals himself through the beauty of his creation, right? Including these flowers of the field. And so as we look around with eyes wide open, we let creation speak to us about the beauty and the majesty of God. And we learn something more about him, verse 30. And so if that is how God clothed the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? There is that, you know, how much more contrast that Jesus uses here, which back then would have been common, right, among the teachers, like the rabbis, the religious teachers of the day. They, they knew what Jesus was getting at, right? That if God provides so much care for the things in creation that we would consider just an afterthought, he's going to take care of us. We who are the masterpiece of his creation, the ones who bear his image, this how much more language is Jesus' way of saying, hey, God's got you. God's got you. He's going to take care of you. He wants us to get that. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Or whatever, you know, fill in the blank we worry about. For the pagans, because if you live like that, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. You know, to me, verse 32 is so powerful because it cuts to the core, right? Cuts to the core of our worry. Remember what I said last week about the heart of anxiety? The heart of anxiety is dominated by these two thoughts. It's out of control and I'm in it alone. It's out of control, life is out of control and I'm in it alone, right? And when you see that playing out in the lives of these pagans that Jesus is talking about, they, they go through life. They're, they're just chasing after the worries. Now, what's a pagan, you might ask? Well, a pagan, according to Jesus, is simply someone who lives their life as if God doesn't exist. Somebody who lives their life as if God doesn't exist. No, they think and act like life is all up to them to deal with every uncertainty they face. Now, that's a lot of stress. In this big, bad world of ours, if you feel like it's all on you, that's a lot of pressure. That's why people who live without reference to God run after all these things. They go through life with a sense of panic, not peace. You can just feel it, that if you feel like it's out of control and you think that you're in it alone, that's how you're going to live your life, running after your worries and trying to fix them. As I was reading this passage, I thought of a phrase I heard years ago, and I've seen it repeated often. The phrase is this, practical atheism. Practical, it describes a person who says they believe in God but behaves like he doesn't exist. A practical atheist, someone who says they believe in God but behaves like he doesn't exist. And that's what Jesus is warning us about here. See, back on that hillside, when Jesus first gave that message, he's speaking to a group of people who believed in the one true God. A group of people who would worship weekly at the local synagogue. A group of people who would intertwine numerous religious rituals into their daily lives, right? In other words, Jesus isn't talking to a bunch of atheists. 
But he cautions them and he cautions us who are gathered here in a church that if worry consumes our life, that if all our mental, emotional, spiritual energies are devoted to chasing after the things we're stressing about, then we're living like a practical atheist. See, the professed faith of our Sunday mornings should fight against the worries of our week. The professed faith of our Sunday morning should fight against the worries of our week in a 168 kind of way. So do not worry, Jesus says. What, sh- what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So even when it does feel out of control, you and I, we need to know that we're not in it alone. It's that phrase at the end, your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Years ago, a ministry mentor of mine had this verse on his desk. Actually, he just had these four words, your heavenly Father knows. Do you believe that? Your heavenly Father knows what's on your plate. Your heavenly Father knows what you're dealing with in life. You know, that really stuck with me because years later, whether I'm trying to live out my own faith or I'm trying to help someone else with theirs, you and I, we need to know and trust and believe and feel that the God we worship, that he's well aware of everything we're going through, right? He's well aware of everything we're going through, that there's nothing that escapes his notice. And because this God of ours is our Heavenly Father, he's not just aware of what we're going through, he's also concerned. His heart's with us. And so he's concerned about your loneliness. He's concerned about your kids. He's concerned about your future. He is. He's not passive. He's not indifferent. Your heavenly father knows you need these things. Listen, if you don't get anything else out of this message, it would be a huge win today if you left this place knowing and feeling like God is with you in your chaos, right? really believing that the Holy Spirit would speak to the deepest places of your heart and would give you an overwhelming assurance that your Heavenly Father knows what you need so that it could deliver you from any trace of practical atheism that's got you bound up in worry and anxiety. God knows. He knows that instead of running after those things then, behaving like God doesn't exist, Jesus gives us this contrast instead. But... Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. And so when you put these verses side by side, Jesus is telling us this point, right? That we all run after something in life, right? We're all seeking something. That we're directing our mental, emotional, spiritual energies somewhere. Those are going to go somewhere, Jesus says, so seek first those things that matter. Seek first those things that are certain. Seek first those things that will last, God's kingdom, God's righteousness. And when Jesus says seek first, it's first as in priority, not first as in sequence, right? In other words, this isn't about looking to the Lord to get something out of the way to check off the box and that we move on from it. No, it's about building and living out a genuine faith in God that's working hard to invite him into every hour of our week and every area of our life. First in priority. Now, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks a lot about God's kingdom, God's righteousness, and we don't have time to look at those in great detail, but here's what I want to point out, that the kingdom of God, the righteousness of God, these things are eternal and they're enduring, right? 
They're eternal and enduring, that there's nothing in this world that will ever face that can threaten their existence. They reign supreme and they reign forever. So here's the point. This is what Jesus is trying to say. We can focus on what God has made certain, then he'll take care of those things that are uncertain. If we can focus on those things that God has made certain, then he'll take care of those things that are uncertain. And still, instead of obsessing over the news and checking our phones, right? Violence in Gaza, nuclear threats in North Korea, MS-13 gang members in America, E. coli in my Caesar salad, right? Whatever it is, Yanni or Laurel, I don't know. What did you hear, right? (laughs) Instead of being consumed by these things that are uncertain, that are out of our control, we instead need to fix our thoughts on an everlasting God who rules over an eternal kingdom, who has established a righteousness that will endure forever. This is what we seek first, and as we do, verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't waste your life by worrying about tomorrow, Jesus says, because worry is the most consuming and the least productive thing we could possibly do. And obsessing over the future keeps us from enjoying life in the present. I love what Jesus throws in here. I don't love what he says, that each day has enough trouble of its own. But I love that Jesus is a realist about life, right? He's a realist rather than painting some kind of fantasy world that just doesn't jive with what we experience. Because this world can be troublesome and being a Christian doesn't exempt you from that. Now, every day in and of itself is challenging enough, but on top of that, right, On top of that, if we borrow the worries of tomorrow and bring them into the trouble of today, we'll be overwhelmed, right? It's going to absolutely crush us, and so we need to keep on trusting God on a daily basis, that he is going to give us what we need when we need it, right? So seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. All these things will be given to you when you need it to you as well. You know, every time I read this passage, I'm amazed at how relatable it is. It's like Jesus is just peering into my soul, right? He knows exactly what I'm going through. As time goes on, as I get older, what I worry about might change, but the fact that I worry to some degree or another is always going to be with me to the day I die, and the same is true with you. So worry isn't something we're going to cure in our lives, but it is something we can conquer, by the grace of God. And so in the rest of our time together, I want to build off this passage. I just want to share four action points, four ideas, four steps we can take that you and I can do to help conquer our worries. And so think about this passage. Here's the first one. Name your worry. Name your, get specific about what and why you're anxious. See, because worry can be so consuming, We often never get past the feeling itself and it being so overwhelming, right? That that sometimes worry is so, like, got us bound up. We often forget what even caused that in the first place. And if we stay stuck in that kind of anxiousness, then the worry is only going to continue to grow and spread and multiply like a virus if it's left unchecked. I love what one Christian counselor says about this. He says, anxieties feel endless and infinite, but in reality, they're finite and specific. 
Anxieties feel endless and infinite, but in reality, they're finite and specific. Now, there might be more than one reason why we're worrying. Those reasons might be all tangled together, right? But even still, to the best of our ability, along with the help of others by the grace of God, if we can peel them apart, then there's some digging and some diagnosing that we need to do. What is at the source of my worry? Name it. Name it. Now, now generally speaking, you know, worry comes from one of two places. Worry comes from either losing what we have or not getting what we want. Right? Losing what we have, it's something we hold on to, something that's precious to us and we fear we might lose it. Or not getting what we want or we think we need, right? Might be something material, like money, like a home, like a car. It might be something rel- relational, with a parent, with a spouse, with a child, with a friend, with a significant other. Or it might be something emotional, right? The feeling of happiness, of security, of acceptance, of popularity. What is it in our worry that we fear we're going to lose or that we feel like we're never going to get at all? Name it. Expose it. Bring it out in the open because when you do, you're already beginning to break its power that the worry has over you, Right? Bring it out, because by the way, that's what Jesus does in this passage, right? He doesn't just say, do not worry, but to the people back then, he says, hey, do not worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Jesus gets specific about worry, so should we. Name your worry. Second, seek your God. Make God your passion and your priority both in the moment and over time. Make God your passion and priority both in the moment over. See, it's not enough to say do not worry. Why? Because nature abhors a vacuum. Like I said before, I mean, we are going to direct our energy, our mental, our emotional, our spiritual energy somewhere. We're going to chase after something, so what's it going to be? And Jesus essentially says, take those energies off your worry and direct those energies toward your God. Worry and worship often go together, and what I mean by that is that worry is often an indicator that we're valuing something more than God. You know, earlier in Matthew 6, in this same message, Jesus talks about money, and he warns us about loving money more than God, and he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I'd also say, where your worries are, there your heart will be also, right? Our treasure, it's what we're passionate about, it's what we prioritize, it's what we're trusting in for our hope and our happiness, our significance and our security. And the list is endless. It could be health, it could be appearance, it could be money, it could be relationships, it could be achievements. All these things can turn into God's substitutes if we're not careful. And so Jesus says, seek God first. As a matter of passion, as a matter of priority, seek God first in your life. And I added these words at the end, both in the moment and over time, because this passage is about so much more than just getting through your latest worry of the day, right? That you go from one thing to another to another. No, this is about the overall direction of the kind of people we're becoming and the kind of people God wants to make us into. That we're building patterns in our life that are going to help us to keep on seeking God first. That's why worshiping together on Sundays matter. That's why coming to church isn't just about trying to impress God or to make sure he's not mad at us like a lot of us maybe grew up thinking. No, it's about seeking God first. With passion, making him 
You're a priority. A lot of things you could have done on Sunday, but you chose to be here. Priority. Same is true with community groups and building Christian friendships. Same is true with serving alongside others and finding a place of ministry. And while we'll not be ever completely free from worry this side of heaven, there are steps we can take that are going to help mature us in the faith. And as we mature in the faith, it's going to be more natural, it's going to be more instinctive to seek God first, where he is our passion, where he is our priority, both in the moment and over time. Third, do your part. Do, your, do what you can and let go of the rest. No more, no less. Right? When it comes to overcoming worry, some of us are going to take on more than we should and think it's all on us. Others of us will take on less than we should and just think, eh, it really doesn't matter, let go, let God. Now don't get me wrong, when we think about worry, it starts with God, right? And looking to him and his supernatural peace, that's the ultimate key to our victory. And yet we also may need to take on responsibility for things that we need to do ourselves. For instance, we might be praying for God's power to help us with worry and anxiety, but he also might be nudging us to reach out and talk to someone else about a problem as well. Like a parent, like a trusted friend, like a pastor, like a, a counselor, right? Steps that require honesty, humility, trust, and courage on our part. Or maybe if we're prescribed anti-anxiety meds that are gonna help us out, then we're the ones that need to take them, right? Or if we're spending too much time on social media and it makes us anxious, it gets us worried, then we're the ones that are gonna need to take the break and maybe set the phone down for a little bit. Which, by the way, research is beginning to show a strong connection between increased anxiety and excessive smartphone use, especially among adolescents, right? It's just an infinite loop of worry and anxiety. The point is, as we seek God first in passion and priority, we also need to be willing to do our part. No more, but also no less. And then finally, trust his care. Trust his care. Rest in God's greatness and goodness. Your heavenly father knows. He knows. Maybe those four words are the words you write down and put on your desk, on your dashboard, on your phone. That a reminder that you're not in this alone, right? That what you need and when you need it, your Father will give it to you. See, here's what you need to know about God. His heart is generous, his timing is perfect, and his wisdom is incomparable. And the more we come to know this about God, the more we experience it personally, the more we're going to be able to find rest in God and God alone. If God is withholding something from you that you think you need, then he's got another reason it might not be a no, it might be a not yet. Or in his wisdom, he just has something better, something different for you, that maybe he's working on something in you, right? To grow you into the kind of person he wants you to be. Rest in God's greatness and goodness. I think of the words of St. Augustine, one of the early church leaders. When he once said, once prayed to God, that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. That as long as we are running around chasing after worries like the pagans, Jesus said, we'll have these restless hearts, unsettled hearts. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God 
in God alone because peace is found in the promises of God in knowing that our Heavenly Father and knowing in all his greatness and all his goodness that he is in control and that he does care for you. So name your worry. Seek your God. Do your part and trust his care. Let's pray together. God, as we were praying earlier today, thank you that you know every heart in this room, listening to the message, watching online during the week. You know our story. You know our worries. You know our needs. And while we might feel alone in those, thank you that we're not. And thank you that the one who created us is the one who cares for us. And so God, would you give us the grace and the strength to face these anxieties head on instead of running and chasing after them, thinking that we've got to fix it ourselves, that we would come before you. And that we'll look to the big things the certain things, the eternal things of your kingdom, of your righteousness, trusting that everything else, all those secondary things that we can obsess over, that you've got those, that you've got those. And so even today, um, help us in naming our worry, to bring it out of darkness, to shine the light of your love and your truth on it, to see it for what it really is and see how it's so puny compared to how great and how big you are. And thank you that you're using this worship service today to realign, to retune our hearts, to want to love you more with passion and priority more than anything else. God, we don't want you to look at us and say you have little faith. No, we want to take steps of surrender to say, God, we're yours. Deliver us from these worries as we seek you first. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you're able, will you stand as we respond in song? All things have passed away. Your love has stayed the same. Your constant grace remains the cornerstone. Things that we
singing that song and saying, um, Jesus, you're the ones that our hearts, ador- you're the one that our heart adores. Um, I was thinking about that word passion. I was thinking about what it means to seek God first. And I thought about when I was younger and newer to the faith and how sometimes some of the uh, emotional language of songs um, was really difficult for me to sing. You know, because I didn't think about God that way, and I'm not necessarily wired that way. And I love that God was just gracious with me, and he said, I'm not asking you to be this kind of person tomorrow, but just take a step and reach out. And I just want to say to those of you who maybe feel that way, maybe you're like, oh, this is new to me, or thinking about God like this, our affection, our devotion poured out on the feet of Jesus. Wow, I'm just not there yet. It's okay, but that's where God wants to take you because he's got so much for you and he loves you more than you could ever imagine. So take a step, just open your heart up a little more and you'll be amazed, you really will, at what our God can do because he can lift, as we sang, your weary head and give you the strength that you need. Next week, we're gonna continue our series. We're gonna talk about the power of prayer in our pursuit of peace. We're also gonna share communion together as a church family, but as you go from here, may God give you the strength to seek him first in passion and priority, both in the moments and over time for the rest of your life. God bless you.